Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. John chapter 3, verse 3, and verses 9 and through 18. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the, in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the only Son of God. This is God's Word. We're coming today from a great Sunday, last Sunday, and a, and a Sunday of seeing many people give their lives to Christ, and we are excited and blessed to see all that God will do uh, in and through and with them in the future. We come today to John chapter 3 to the next step in our journey through John and we come to what is a most intriguing story. It is uh, a story that contains probably the most famous verse of scripture in the world, John 3:16, unless you're of the uh, tribe that believes Matthew 7, 1 has overtaken John 3:16. Matthew 7, 1 says, judge not. Yeah, you've heard that one, haven't you? Judge not. I don't know which is overtaken what, but this is the story that prompted that great passage of John 3, 16. It is the story of Nicodemus. It is the story of a man who was well-educated, well-connected, well a man who had great wealth and great influence. He was a man who found himself encountering Jesus, and what we have today is the story of that encounter. Now, what makes this story so valuable for you and me? One of the things that makes it so valuable for, for you and me is that this story actually explains how it is and why it is. Watch now, some people can meet Jesus and walk away unchanged and how other people can meet the same Jesus and walk away never to be the same again. It's a fascinating story, and I wanna share it with you this morning as we make our way through John chapter three. 
You, you uh, will notice with me that this Nicodemus pretty soon uh, into this passage is revealed to be a man who has some significant problems. He may be wealthy, he may be well-connected, he may be well-educated, he may be a major influencer, and he is in his, in his own society. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a national Jew, uh, governing body for the Jews. He had everything going for him, but he, he had a problem. He had a problem, a serious problem, and it was a serious problem with reality. He, Nicodemus was a man, this man who's approaching Jesus is a man who thinks he sees, but doesn't see. He thinks he hears, but he doesn't hear. You may know somebody just like that. Parents right now are thinking of their teenagers. Teenagers right now are thinking about their parents. You probably know somebody just like that. There are a lot of, of uh, I almost said a lot of us around. I guess I should, there are a lot of us around. They can't hear what others tell them, no matter how hard people try to talk to them. And they, they won't hear the fact that they can't hear the truth because they just won't listen. They, they can't see what reality is, no matter how hard they, you try to, to show them, and they won't see that they can't see reality because they just won't look at it. If you've ever had a person like that in your life, they will make you pull out your hair, which is why I'm in the condition I'm in. <laughs> this, this was effectively Nicodemus's problem. And I want you to see it with me. Let's make our way through the passage, shall we? Let's look at verses one through 10, particularly uh, uh, here. As John introduces us to Nicodemus, what, what he shows us here is he shows us that, that Nicodemus has a concern about Jesus and that concern about Jesus drives him to meet Jesus and he comes to meet him at night. The concern he has, simply put is this, he doesn't know what to do with Jesus. He, he doesn't know what to make of Jesus' miracles and his signs. He doesn't know what to, to make of Jesus' powerful teaching. He, he, uh, Jesus' ministry, you see, doesn't fit. It, it doesn't fit into what Nicodemus expects from God and, and what he believes concerning what God is about in the world. So he's, he's curious. He's intrigued by Jesus. He, he even seems to like Jesus. If you look at those early passages, verses one and two, the compliments that he pays to Jesus, he seems to even like Jesus. This is, which is odd for a Pharisee. And, and, and so in, in that context, he comes to Jesus and he reports to Jesus, and I love this, look at verse two. He reports to Jesus the results of what he's seen and what he's heard and what he's come to know about him. He says basically three things. You're a teacher like me, you're a rabbi. You're a teacher whose teaching comes from God himself. And you're a teacher who does signs that no one can do except God is with him. Here's what I know. I don't know what to do with you. I don't know what to make of you, but I know three things about you. You're a rabbi like me, though you're untrained and I'm very well trained. You are a teacher and your teaching obviously comes from God and you can do things others can't do because God is obviously with you. 
So here's what we have. Nicodemus sees Jesus' works and Nicodemus hears Jesus' words. And as a result of seeing and hearing, he wants to know on the basis of what he's seen and heard who Jesus really is, or at least who Jesus says that he is. Is he the prophet that, the, that uh, uh, Moses promised? Is, is he the, the Messiah that the prophet said one day would come? Jesus' immediately, immediate reply, though, to Nicodemus' kind introduction is unexpected. When you read what Nicodemus says in three, and you go to, to uh, uh, or verse two, and you go to three and four, you're going, boy, Jesus is being kind of rude here. He's, he's, what he says is jolting, it's kind of brusque. It's, it's like Jesus didn't even hear what Nicodemus had to say. He didn't say, oh, well, thank you, you're so kind. He, there was no chit chat, nothing. He goes straight to it. It's a curious thing, but there's a reason for it. What Nicodemus wants to know actually is not the first thing he needs to know. While knowing who Jesus is, is important, the problem Nicodemus has is, is, is one that he needs to address first before he can know anything more about Jesus. Something's gotta be fixed in him before he can go forward in understanding. So, so Jesus takes over the conversation and he redirects it and he says uh, something that Nicodemus doesn't expect to hear and and something that, quite frankly, he struggles with. Look at verse three. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What? 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 You can imagine Nicodemus going, did he hear anything I said? What Nicodemus' problem, of course, is that Jesus can hear his heart, not just his, his mouth. But I want you to notice, it's, it's with this statement that Jesus begins to coax Nicodemus's problem out into the open. Now, it's important for me to say that the, the phrases born again and, and see, seeing the kingdom of God both have roots in the Old Testament. As a Jewish teacher himself, uh, Nicodemus should be familiar with these things. Jesus is simply affirming that no one can see and be a part of God's plans for eternity. No one can be part of the resurrection to life that's coming. No one can be a part of the new world made right with God and uh, made right under his rule as king. No one can be a part of that without being born again first before the kingdom comes. Before the kingdom comes, you've got to be born Again, to be part of this world that's going to be made new and different by God, individuals also have to be made new and different by God before it comes. Does that make sense? That's basically what Jesus is saying. And this being made new includes Nicodemus. But Nicodemus is scandalized by this. This doesn't fit. This is not what I want to hear. This is not what I believe. This is not what I like. Have you ever gotten mad at a preacher? Ever gotten mad at a message? Ever read the Bible and gotten mad? 
Ever wanted to do what Thomas Jefferson did and take your New Testament and cut out all the passages you don't like? Nicodemus is, is scandalized by this. He, he doesn't understand it. It doesn't fit with his picture of how God works in the end. He, and so he, he doesn't believe it. And like the rest of the Pharisees and most Jews, he assumes that all good Jews who are living, doing certain righteous deeds and who are waiting faithfully for the Messiah will enter this new world because they are good and because they are Jews, because they're God's special people. They're not all that bad. They're good and they're going to make it. And so look at verse four, Nicodemus asked the question, how can a man be born when he is old? Now, he misses Jesus' message completely. He, he takes it physically and quite honestly, we don't know whether he's playing here or what he's doing because he's a brilliant man. And I personally find it hard to believe that he takes what Jesus just said absolutely literally and saying, well, this is complete nonsense. A man my age can't climb back into his mother's womb, which is basically what he says, and be born again. No, I don't think, I think he's got more going on than that. But Jesus doesn't give up on him and he goes further with his explanation. And he says essentially to Nicodemus, that there has to be a, 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 a spiritual cleansing from sin and there has to be a work of the Holy Spirit in making a person's heart and life new. You've got to be born of water. You've got to be cleansed. You've got to be born uh, of the Spirit in order to have an entrance into the kingdom life of God to come in the future. Jew or non-Jew, doing good deeds and waiting or not, Jesus says, ultimately, notice, he says, don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Still Nicodemus cannot understand. He's astounded by what Jesus is saying. And he says, you can almost hear his skepticism in verse nine, how can these things be? How can these things be? How can new birth, being born again, be possible? It doesn't fit what I know to be true. Physically, okay, physically, but, or spiritually, it doesn't fit. This is where the conversation gets the sharpest. Nicodemus shows with his question that he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. He says, effectively, I don't see it. I don't get it. It's then Jesus' turn next to be astounded. Do you see that? He replies, look at verse 10. Are you, and this is critical, if you make notes in your Bible, underline this word. Are you the teacher in Israel? Are you the lead teacher of Israel? He was. Are you the lead teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? In other words, how can you not understand Jesus is astounded that Nicodemus is astounded precisely because Nicodemus is the teacher of teachers in Israel. He ought to know that this teaching of the new birth comes from the Old Testament. He ought to know, for example, Ezekiel 36, where the prophet speaks plainly about a coming cleansing from sin and the granting of new hearts that allows people to follow God faithfully and completely. Nicodemus, the great teacher, the one who has studied the Old Testament, the one who has now seen and heard Jesus in the flesh, sees 
but he doesn't see. He hears, but he doesn't hear. And here's what I want you to notice with me. Nicodemus' problem is not that he can't see because there's nothing to see. God never asks us to see what isn't there. God asks us to see what is there. Nicodemus' problem is that he can't see what he does see when he sees Jesus and hears his words. He's spiritually blind, he's spiritually deaf, and he doesn't know it. But here's the question, why? How does this happen? How does this happen? How does God in the flesh stand before him and he doesn't see? How does God in the flesh speak to him and he doesn't hear? How does this happen? Well, look with me at Jesus' diagnosis. Look with me at Jesus' diagnosis in verses 11 to 13. Why can't Nicodemus see what he's seeing when he sees Jesus' works and hears his words? Jesus explains it right here. Look, verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you don't receive, you don't believe our testimony. If I've told you earthly things, and what he means by that is the basic things of life from God about the need for cleansing and new birth. I mean, elementary things, the things that people on the earth need to know. If you don't understand that, if, if I've told you these things and you don't believe these things, then Jesus says, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things, deeper things like who I really am? How am I going to answer your real question, who, who do you say that you are, when you can't even receive or believe the basics? You gotta be clean before you can enter into God's kingdom. You, you, you can't clean yourself up, you've gotta be changed. You don't believe that, you don't receive that, so how would you receive anything else I would say? No one, Jesus goes on to say, and he's giving his, his uh, reasons that he's credible. He should be believed. No one's ascended into heaven to find out these things, except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. I've been there, I know what I'm talking about, is what he's saying. I'm bearing witness to you, but you won't even receive my witness. Now, I want you to notice something with me here. Jesus is saying, in effect, if Nicodemus really believed, what he says he believed. If, if he really believed that Jesus is a teacher like Nicodemus, a rabbi, if he really believed that Jesus was a teacher whose teaching uh, comes from God, if he really believed that, uh, that uh, Jesus is one who does signs that no one could do except God is with them, then it would only be right and fair to expect that Nicodemus, having seen Jesus' works and heard his words, would own them to be from God, the God of the Old Testament that he's supposed to know. As the great teacher in Israel, the Bible scholar, he should have seen the truth and received as true everything Jesus has to say, but he doesn't. It's clear the reason that he doesn't is that he doesn't believe. And Jesus is saying he can't understand. Indeed, he'll never understand because he doesn't believe. Nicodemus' problem 
is a pre, watch this, a predetermined unbelief or a closeness when it comes to Christ. He comes to Jesus already believing something else and refuses to believe anything new. So he shuts him out. He can see, but he doesn't see. He can hear, but he doesn't hear. Now stay with me. This is important. In the New Testament, unbelief is always a resistance to the truth of God revealed by the Spirit of God in Jesus. It's a resistance that, that takes on the form of a rejection and it produces a, a spiritual blindness. Remember, I've taught you that, that saving faith is always a composite of belief about Jesus and belief in Jesus. So I believe the facts about Jesus and then I put my trust in the Jesus of those facts. I believe about him and I believe in him. I rest in him, I trust in him. If saving faith is belief about the facts of Jesus followed by a belief or trust in Jesus, then unbelief is really a matter of refusing genuinely to see the facts. And if you don't ever, if you're not open, if you're not willing to see the facts about Jesus, just to consider them, you'll never get to the point of being able to believe in them. That's what unbelief does. So God is not saying in Christ to Nicodemus, just step out and believe. He's saying, can you see that you can't see? You're not even trying to see. You're not even open. Your problem is you're closed. You're closed. You can see extraordinary miracles. You can hear extraordinary teaching and know the Old Testament and still not see or hear what it all means. He can see, but not see what he sees. He can see, but not see what he sees. How many of you wear glasses? I haven't worn them very long. I've had great eyes until just recently. Funniest thing happened the other day. I couldn't find my glasses. I'm looking all over for my glasses. I'm getting frustrated because I can't find my glasses. I'm looking everywhere for my glasses. I cannot find them. And I need them because without them, I can't see only to catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror to see that I'm wearing the glasses I'm looking for. Anybody else ever done that or is it just me? Oh, good. We'll form a club. Uh, somebody else will be president. I hate even admitting that, but it was like, oh my goodness. They really do work well. That's why I couldn't find them, I think, yeah. Uh, I want you to see. He can see, but not see what he sees. Why? It is because he's decided in advance how things are and how things will be. And he works hard to make everything else fit what, he, what he's already decided. Effectively, Nicodemus has no room at all for faith in Jesus because Nicodemus has reserved all of his room for faith for uh, all of his room for faith, for faith in himself. Nicodemus is a true believer. I, I, I want you to hear me. I'm, I'm, he's not a complete unbeliever. He's a true believer. He believes in Nicodemus. 
He believes in Nicodemus. He believes that Nicodemus can decide what is right and good and true. He believes in Nicodemus. His mantra, if you will, or his core doctrine, if you will, is I believe in me. I believe in me. And I will measure everything. I will determine everything. And I will decide what is true and what is not true, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. I believe in me. This is effectively the religion of the United States of America. I believe in me. I trust in me. I decide what is right for me and wrong for me and I decide what is true. So here we have Nicodemus. Oh, he's curious about Jesus. Oh yeah, he is. He's curious about Jesus. He's intrigued by Jesus. He even likes Jesus, but he's already decided before his interview that he will never be serious about Jesus unless Jesus fits, unless Jesus agrees with what he's already decided must be true about himself and God and the world. And, and this is what leaves him spiritually blind and deaf. Despite all of his religious language and all of his religious trappings, this deaf blindness is at the heart of what I call the Nicodemus syndrome. It's a spiritual disease that causes us to see Jesus without really seeing him, to hear him without ever really hearing from him. Now I wanna say to you, I wanna pause just for a minute and say be very, very careful loved ones. This disease is everywhere. And we're ready and eager to say that it is in the world, but we need to go on and own and confess it's also here in the church. And it's in you and it's in me. If we're not careful, if we're not guarding against it, it's in us. There are, still, there are many, many people who confess to believe in Jesus. And what I've learned in recent days is if somebody says they believe in him, is find out which Jesus they actually believe in. You cannot take at um, face value uh, that the Jesus you believe in, and I trust that that is the Jesus of the New Testament, that the Jesus you believe in is the Jesus someone else is actually talking about. Because today there are multiple versions of Jesus and there are multiple claims for Jesus that he accepts and adopts and, 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 and celebrates a whole number of things that you will never find him accepting, adopting, or celebrating in the scripture. It's effectively a different Jesus. And some people who don't think uh, um, things through really get tripped up by that. Well, they said they believed in Jesus and so they, they, they on, offer this or they believe that or whatever. And somehow they get tripped up because uh, of, a, of an ethical stance or a moral stance that they know is contrary to the scripture, but yet the person says they believe in Jesus. The best thing to do is go, okay, yeah, but what, which one? Is, is, and we, we need to go on and ask what Jesus do I believe in? This is very, very important because we must never, 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 never get on a high horse and, and look down at others. We've got to stay humble because Jesus was humble and he teaches us to be humble. 
But we've got to always be checking and say, now, which Jesus am I believing in? Now, you may have very well received the New Testament Jesus, but if you're not careful, you can morph and start believing a Jesus that isn't in the New Testament. Now, I don't mean that you'll lose your salvation. I just mean you're backsliding. If I can use an Old Testament term, you've got a Jesus who, who's a little different. Let me, let me explain that to you. Let me explain that to you. Which Jesus, what Jesus is the question we should be asking? And we should ask ourselves and find a way uh, winsomely, gently, uh, clearly though, to ask others, is, is it the Jesus of the New Testament? Is it the Jesus of the New Testament who requires we take him seriously? Is it the Jesus who demands that we agree with him and submit our minds and our hearts to him? Or is it a domesticated Jesus who is always agreeable and never challenges us, who is always for what we're for and against what we're against? Which Jesus is it? Because Nicodemus wanted the second Jesus. He didn't really want the first Jesus. We want the Jesus who lets us see what we want to see and lets us hear what we want to hear. But be very, very careful, loved ones, be careful. This Nicodemus syndrome has never gone away. The truth of the matter is we've all tried to remake God in our own image at some point. We've all been Nicodemus, every single one of us. We've all claimed God for our side We've all said God agrees completely with us and we've treaded on some dangerous ground. Okay, so I'm gonna get political for two seconds. So sit up, it's kinda, of, you say politics or you say sex in church, everybody sits up. So I'm going with politics and not sex today, here we go. Some of us assume God is a Democrat some of us assume other, uh, that he is a Republican. He is neither. He is the great king. That's what his word says. He doesn't take sides. He takes over. He is the great I am. He doesn't change himself for us. He changes us for himself. And the only way to know him is to see him and to hear him without editing him, without rejecting him, without trying to change him. The only way to see and hear him is to understand that he is who he is and he is not going to change. And there will be times he will say things you don't like. In fact, that's probably a good proof that you're following the right Jesus. And the only way to see him and hear him is to understand ultimately the treatment that he offers for, for Nicodemus syndrome. What is that? Well, look with me at verses 14 to 15. Here we have Jesus' treatment. I love this. Jesus says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
So in his answer to Nicodemus's question in verse nine, how can these things be? Jesus offers a solution for Nicodemus, for you, for me, and he shows how rebirth happens. It is by a faith that sees, watch this now, by looking. To explain this, Jesus uses an Old Testament story found in Numbers 21. You may know it. It's the story of the serpent in the wilderness. There, God's people resist him and reject him because they don't trust or believe in his ability to provide for them. And he sends poisonous snakes as a judgment for their unbelief. And Moses intercedes for the people and God responds to his intercession and he provides a way of healing and salvation. What is it? It comes by way of a bronze servant on a bronze pole raised up for everyone to see and offered for everyone to look at for healing if they would look, if they would look, if they would look, if they would look. So the scripture says in Numbers 21, the, the result was, and if a servant bit, serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze servant and live. So there are a couple of analogies here. The initial analogy here is that of the lifting up of the bronze servant on a pole and the lifting up of the son of man on a cross yet to come. But the primary analogy is this. Jesus likens the restoration of people's physical lives as a result of looking at that bronze servant to the restoration of people's spiritual lives and their destinies, the reception of of this eternal life from God as being the result of not merely seeing Jesus lifted up, but looking in faith to him lifted up. There's a difference between seeing and actually looking. There's a difference between hearing and actually listening. Sometimes Cheryl will say to me, are you? (laughs) Oh, I hate that. Because inevitably that means I'm not. And, uh, you know, she'll say, so what did I say? (laughs) Well, look, I can't do a ton of multitasking, but I can do that much. So I can almost always verbatim spit back to her what she said. But the truth is, I was hearing. And what you ladies really need to do when your husbands do that to you, I should not do this. You all owe me big time for this. is don't ask him, are you listening? Or or, did you hear me? Ask him this question, you ready? Get your pens out, you need to write this down. What do you think? (laughs) What do you think? Here's the the reality. You can hear, but if you're not listening, you don't know what to think. (laughs) See, listening involves thinking. We'll take up a special offering (laughs) for marital help and counseling, just right around the corner there. But here's the bottom line of what, what, what Jesus is saying using this Old Testament passage. He's saying life always begins with a look. 
Life always begins. Life with God always begins with a look. It's not seeing Christ. It's looking at Christ. Considering Christ. There are a lot of people who are curious about Jesus and intrigued by Jesus and may even like Jesus and still not believe. Life, new life, always begins with a look. And by the way, believers, can I just say, I don't have time for this, but can I just say, life not only begins with a look, life grows, endures, goes deeper with a look. You don't just look to Jesus one time on the cross. You keep looking to Jesus all through your life. Life begins with that look. Life continues with that look. Life endures with that look. If you keep looking to Christ... There is nothing that will come into your life that you cannot, in his strength, survive and even thrive in. Life begins with a look. Life continues with a look. Life endures with a look. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Now, now, watch now. Here we go. Looking to Jesus necessitates looking away from myself. Looking to Jesus necessitates looking away from myself. You cannot have faith in Jesus and have faith in you at the same time. You cannot live looking to Jesus for answers and looking to yourself for answers at the same time. You can only look in one direction. You will either look to Christ or ultimately you will look to yourself and then to anybody else on TikTok who might be able to guide you. There's so much help on TikTok. Life always begins with a look. And Jesus says, everyone who believes, everyone who looks, not who sees, everyone who looks will find they're on the path ultimately to eternal life. When you first, watch now, here's here's how it works. When you first begin to look, not just see Jesus, but look at Jesus, and you begin to grasp the facts about Jesus. What is already there in his word, his teaching, his miracles. You look at the facts of what he's done in other people's lives. You begin to look at the facts. It's then that you are able finally to make the decision to look to Jesus and trust him. But you'll never get here if you can't get here. And you, you'll never get here if you stay close to him and You're willing to see him, but you're not willing to look at him.
the real Jesus. The Jesus of the New Testament. So, here's the point. The cure for unbelief, the basis for salvation offered is not merely seeing but looking and believing in Christ, looking to him alone with trust as the Messiah, the Savior. And so this is the answer to Nicodemus' second question. How can these things be? These things happen, being born again, being cleansed, being transformed, and Entering into the future kingdom of God is always through the lifting up of the Son of Man and the looking. God does the lifting, we do the looking. God does the lifting, God does the saving. All that we're called to do is look. The looking doesn't save, God saves. The looking is simply the means by which God saves us. He, we are, he is lifted up. We look at him, we look to him, we're saved. God lifts, we look. God lifts, we look. God lifts, we look. And so this is what God does to help us when we can't see or hear because we don't believe or trust. And this is what Nicodemus is missing in his seeing as well as his hearing. And this is what he can do if he chooses. This is the cure for spiritual blindness and deafness from the human side. It is to see and look at what God shows in Jesus. It is to hear and really listen to what God says in Jesus. It is to honestly and openly examine what one sees and what one hears. What one is looking at and what one is listening to. But if we will not truly look at Jesus, we will never be able to believe in him. And this is what the new birth and eternal life with God require. God the Father lifts up his son as Savior. But to be saved, we have to look to his son with trust. God lives. We must look. And we can, and this is what's important, I think. Even if we can't see it, and it doesn't make sense to us, if we will set aside our faith in ourselves and look at what God shows us in his son and in his word and see what God has to say to us in both, then the way is open to understanding him. The way is open to believing the facts about him. The way is open to looking to him with faith and finding salvation. This is how almost Christians like Nicodemus become true believers and how the Nicodemus syndrome is overcome. God's treatment for our unbelief is an invitation not to see and hear. Anybody can do that. God's treatment is an invitation to make the choice to honestly and carefully look at and listen to him. That's where faith is found. Paul puts it this way in Romans. Faith comes from hearing, from listening and hearing through the word of or the word about Christ. This is why some people meet Jesus and aren't changed by the encounter while others meet him and are never the same again. Life begins and life depends on this choice to look, to look away from Christ is to, is to resist him, but to look away from self to Christ is to live. If you're going to live, Jesus says, you've got to look. You've got to look. 
So maybe when you're praying for someone who doesn't know Christ, you should change the way you've been praying. Maybe what you should do is begin to pray very specifically, God, would you open their eyes and and open their ears? Not so that they see and hear, but so that they might look and listen to all that you will say to them. Life always begins with a look. Well, notice with me in verses 16 to 18, Jesus' prognosis and his clothes. It's haunting that we hear nothing more from Nicodemus here after he says his question or offers his question, asks his question in verse 9, how can these things be? We wonder what happened to him. We aren't told what Nicodemus did with Jesus then or in the end, whether he finally saw and looked and heard and listened and went from, from, from a damning unbelief to a saving faith. We just don't know. What we do know is this, that later in John 7, Nicodemus tried to steer the Sanhedrin from prejudging Jesus at one point, and he advised them to give him a hearing. This is interesting. Give him a hearing and learn what he does. Very, very interesting. Give him a hearing, learn what he does. Listen to what he's saying. And see, look at what he's doing. Very interesting. Gives me some hope for him right there. Later, later we know that at Jesus' death, Nicodemus helps Joseph of Arimathea, who was a secret disciple of Jesus, Take Jesus' body, bind it in linen cloths with spices, and place him in a borrowed tomb. And scholars are divided as to whether Nicodemus looked or not, whether he came to faith or not. But what we can be sure of is this. His syndrome is not new. It's ancient. For generations before him, God had been saying things like this through his prophets he, he says to them, uh, to, to, to his people, he says, I've spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although I've sent you all of my prophets saying, turn now every one of you from his evil way. Stop looking at yourselves and look to me. You have eyes to see, he says elsewhere, but you don't see. You have ears to hear, but you don't hear because you're rebellious. You will not believe. Jesus himself says over and over again, let him who has ears to hear, hear. What he means is if You're hearing me listen. At first, Nicodemus saw Jesus, but never really looked at him. He heard Jesus, but he never really listened. He was intrigued by Jesus, but he didn't feel a need for him strong enough to look to him and listen to him with a greater trust than the trust he had in himself. And sometimes if God's going to get our attention, we have to go through a crisis because we simply will not see and look, and we simply will not hear and listen. So did he finally follow his own advice? Did Nicodemus hear and listen, look to Christ and learn? We just, we don't know, and we won't know this side of eternity. But what we can know and should ask is, what have I done with Jesus? What will I do with him? And what am I doing with him now? I'm talking about the Jesus of the New Testament. Not the one somebody gave you. Not the one in your mind, your head, that you constructed somehow. 
I'm talking about the, the Jesus of the New Testament. If we're only curious about Jesus, intrigued by Jesus, and perhaps appreciate Jesus, and we don't look to him in faith, we are and, and will stay at the very best an almost Christian. We will trust more in ourselves and what we see and say about life and eternity than we do. And Jesus makes it plain. that just curiosity, intrigue, and a positive disposition toward him is, is not going to change our lives. It's not going to alter our destinies. And that's why in his final words, Jesus gives a prognosis to Nicodemus, to you and me. And he shows what the result is for those who receive his treatment and what the result is for those who don't. Before he does, he tells us why this treatment is available. In verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The reason God lifts so that we can look is because he loves us. This great unexplainable love of God for the world, all of us sinners, and through Jesus' coming, his work, and his words, his, God's love is put on display, but it forces a decision from all of us. The point of it, the point of his coming is to rescue the guilty, not to punish them, but in his coming, he shows us we're guilty. For God, verse 17 says, didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved from him. He tells us, that this treatment is available now. But then he goes on to tell us what this treatment can mean. We all start blind. We all start deaf to him. We all are blind and deaf to spiritual truth. We're all condemned because of it and because of our sinfulness. We, though Jesus says, don't have to stay in it. God's offer in sending his son is a saving from condemnation. Condemnation that's already ours. Everything Jesus says hinges on belief in him, a looking to him for that salvation with trust alone in him. There's no middle ground. And that's Jesus' final point in verse 18. There's no middle ground. And this is what we don't like. And this is where we get a good test as to whether we believe in the real Jesus. He says there's no middle ground. Either you have put your faith in me and not in yourself or you have not. There are either those who have received me or those who have not. And those who have received me escape condemnation, find entry into the kingdom of God, and those who have not will perish. There's no in between. And every almost Christian like Nicodemus in this early interview is going to find that they are still under condemnation, still facing a destiny of separated from God, an awful destiny separated from him by their own choice because they would not look and they would not listen. I don't like that Jesus. He talks about hell. And when he's not talking about hell, he's talking about money. I don't like that Jesus. 
I want a sweet Jesus, like a little baby Jesus in a manger. Little angels flying around. That's the Jesus I like. Can't understand what he's saying. He's just laying there. That's the Jesus for me. Well, he grew up. He is who he is. He's not going to change. Never changes. But oh, how he loves us. The proof is in the lifting. The invitation is to do the looking. So what have you done with Jesus? The real Jesus. And what are you doing right now with him? Can you see him? Or are you looking at him? Can you hear him? Or are you listening to him? Even for believers, it makes all of the difference. Because life depends on a look. Our Father in this place, we, we cannot help but be thankful that you know us in our true condition. You meet us in our true condition. You know we're spiritually blind and deaf, and still you've come in your Son to grant to us eyes and ears, able to see and look, able to hear and listen, able to receive all of the truth, to understand it, the most essential truth of the need to be clean, the need to be made new. And you've given us the invitation to say this I believe. At it. I've looked at him, and now I choose to look to him. My my life, I rest on him. Father, how we thank you for that. And I want to pray one specific prayer today for every almost Christian in this room. That today, Lord God, by your grace and mercy. You would allow them, give them the ability to see what they aren't seeing. To look at the one you've sent. To hear what they've been missing. And to listen carefully to your promise of great love for a broken world of your heart that none should perish, but that men and women, boys and girls should find everlasting life. Oh God, I pray that today the almost Christian might become 
true. Looking and listening follower of your great son. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.